you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the White? Darth Plagueis is the Dark Lord of the Sith. So powerful and so wise, he can use the Force to influence the midi-chlorians to create... Together, we can rule the galaxy as father and son. You may want to rule as father and son, but this here is no place for a Padawan. This is the dark side. This is Sith Dark. Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, rebel scum and loyal to the Empire, this is Sith Talk, the show where we talk about Star Wars, all things Star Wars, movie news, topics. We love to have in-deep conversations about certain topics, specifically like Qui-Gon Jinn's philosophy. We're the show where we talk about anything from the news to the politics of the film side to the deep dive theories. We're so thankful that you're going to join us. I am your Lord of Lore, Zach Chrisman, and with me is the balanced Brandon. How you doing, man? I am fantastic, man. How are you doing? Well, upon recording, this is my first day back from having COVID. I uh, caught the uh, Omicron variant. I uh, was a, not naive, but you know, I had been exposed multiple times and never got COVID. My wife had COVID. I never got COVID. And well, <laughs> your boy ain't as uh, apparently he wasn't in the back to tank as much as he thought he was because <laughs> he ended up catching it now very fortunately i i only had it for about an hour or for a day and a half and um it was pretty mellow but the the worst part was the actual quarantine for me so this is actually upon recording the first day that i've been back into society and man i'm just so excited to talk to you to talk to people i mean i could have technically talked to you while i was quarantining because we're over a podcast feed, but holy shit, I am excited to talk to people. And it's a good day to start talking. I mean, yeah, got, it was we got book, the... we got book of Boba Fett, dude. Dude, it was kind of one of those things where like Monday was the hardest, which we're recording on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Um, Monday was like the hardest day for me because I had been really pushing through it with positivity. And even though we couldn't do Christmas, me and my wife and my brother-in-law made a big fat meal. I hung out. I, uh, you know, drank beer. I watched the Witcher. I played the Witcher. I started playing that again. It was a good time, but Monday had really gotten to me as far as like just existing. It was, it was very tough. So anybody who's ever gotten COVID, um, you know, I feel very fortunate that it really only lasted for about a day and a half. And if it hasn't for our listeners, if it's hit you harder, I really, I'm, I, I, I empathize with you. And if it didn't hit you hard, you still had to quarantine. I now understand how even, you know, you know, eight days is, is hard enough to like get through just existing and trying to create things. And I had, you know, Sammy B back in the day, 
when we were in the limelight of COVID, he was out for months just quarantining because he lived in Chicago and he was telling me how much of a hard time he was going through and I couldn't relate. And now like even just like eight days of just existing was hard enough for me. I mean, I'm, I'm like the epitome of an introvert. So that sounds like a decent time to me. Uh, sans having COVID. Uh, I thought that I was going to get to the rest of new year's, even though like it's, it's one of those weird things where you get, um, what is it? You get a little bit of Stockholm syndrome where like you want to break out, but then when the opportunity is there, you don't actually want to. And I was just trying to get to book a Boba Fett for quarantine so I could watch it like first thing in the morning and just like have all day to like think about it. And then of course, you know, the CDC changed their guidelines and it was totally fair because I, I, you know, I really wasn't, I was back on the men. So there was no reason for me to really not be out. Um, based on their guidelines and based on everything that was going on with me because I never had a fever and it was pretty much gone after two days. Um, it was completely responsible for me to go out, but like at the same time I was like, damn it. Oh, I thought I could like get to Wednesday and, and have all day to watch Book of Boba Fett and then it just didn't end up like that. <laughs> but it's well, good to be back. We are back and we are going to be talking about Book of Boba Fett. So um, I think we let's just go ahead now and say spoilers all over the place. Uh, we're not going to hold back on, on Book of Boba Fett because uh, there's a lot to talk about uh, with this show, with this episode. So if you have not watched it, uh, turn back now, go to your TV. It's like 38 minutes long with credits. So... Not too uh, time-consuming. And we're going to spoil the shit out of it. So, and, and I will say that before we get into it, if you have already watched it, and from here on out, when it comes to Sith Talk uh, episodes, in the coming weeks with Book of Boba Fett, we're probably always going to be talking about spoilers of the latest episodes. Um, so if you haven't seen it, definitely watch our episodes because I, I know that Brandon dives deep. And I know I dive deep, and it's going to be a water cooler fun time where everybody just talks about these spoilers. And you know what? I'm going to do it right now, live on the show. Let's just go for it. We're going to crack open well, a beer, and we're going to talk about Boba Fett. Water is going to come up a lot, so we'll, we'll, we'll come back to, uh, to the water cooler in just a second. But I do want to plug, uh, you and Mark did an episode on Boba Fett for Forever Star Wars that I listened to on my ride back uh, home this last weekend or Monday whenever I came back back home from Christmas. And uh, that was a fantastic discussion. So if you are looking for some more Boba Fett content and kind of a interesting perspectives on the character and his evolution, both within the story and in the lexicon of star wars definitely go check that out but and I, I would love to add to that before we get into it because i feel like while me and mark don't talk talk much about star wars every interaction i've had with mark has been very much a very there's give and take but there's a lot of things that me and him have in common so that that conversation was a lot of fun to actually go back myself and listen to because I felt like we were both in the same place. And if you are out there listening that maybe have listened to Forever Star Wars and our conversation, uh, you know, you, you will either agree or disagree with our points. But I think it's a, 
I think there's a lot of points to be made either why we feel the way we feel and that can help you either feel why you feel different or why you feel like so I, I I agree with that so let's get into it man let's do How'd it you feel about it oh man um it's interesting because I didn't really have any expectations coming into the show for a few reasons one I don't watch the trailers anymore so I hadn't really seen a lot of of stuff um I I generally when I know something is coming out I generally try to avoid as much of it as I can. Um, and that, like, you know, I've talked about it before with trailers and stuff, but even now, like, for back of books and interviews that the, they have and stuff like that, I will, because I know I'm not going to have a conversation around that because I enjoy the experience of seeing something the first time without all that baggage uh, on for me. Just I know that's what works best for me to enjoy the product. Um, I don't really go into that sphere. And then if I need to afterwards to, to learn more about a conversation I want to have, I'll go back and read that stuff and watch the trailers and stuff. But so I really came in here with low expectation, not low expectations, not like a lot of weight of expectations, but also really, really hopeful that I was right. And what I mean by that is I didn't really have any idea of what I wanted it to be uh, for the most part. We'll come back to one thing that I did want that we got in this episode. Um, but as far as like the show needs to be this or the show needs to be that or I want to see, the, you know, those weren't really there for me. What I really wanted out of this show and I think that it hit this on every level that I could have asked for was I wanted it to feel similar to The Mandalorian. Because part of my trouble that I've had with new Star Wars is the new Star Wars stuff all feels very different from each other. It doesn't... We'll take the sequel trilogy, for example. Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker feel like each other. Last Jedi feels different. Uh, Rogue One and Solo feel very different from each other. It, it There's not a sense of... of the it factor that goes across all of them that you had when you had George doing the original trilogy. And even though the prequels feel different, the prequels and the Clone Wars in that whole era feels the same. The shots are stylized in the same way. The music hits in the same way. Uh, the visuals look the same. Those kind of things. And we didn't really have that as Disney was finding its footing. When we got Mando... And especially after we got season two, I was like, okay, they've got a feel for these TV shows. They're coming out with more of them. I want them to feel this way so that this whole Mando verse that we've kind of been talking about is an actual like thing. Not that it's separate from the galaxy that we know or it's a different canon or anything like that, but that when you see it, you know this is Star Wars TV. And then over here, you have Star Wars movies. And they feel a little bit different, but feel like they happen in the same galaxy. We got that with this. With the music, with the visuals, with the shot styles, uh, the volume, like all of it. Chef's kiss. Yeah. Um, I think one of the takeaways for me is there's a lot of fan consensus about how many desert planets can we go to? 
you know, with the sequel trilogy, there was Jakku, there was multiple desert planets on the Mandalorian, and guess what? We're right back to desert planets. Uh, Kenobi is going to be on Tatooine, so we're getting another desert planet. You know, from my end, there are some people that have concerns about how many fucking desert planets are we going to go through before we do something new. And that's a concern for me, too. But I will say, the the cinematography in this show and living on Tatooine for this episode actually made a lot a lot of things seem more lived in. Like, I feel like if I revisited New Hope after this, I have a deeper understanding. And, and you know, coming from Star Wars podcasters, we've read a lot of books. I've read a lot of books. Uh, the Kenobi book is primarily, actually is all on Tatooine. I've done a lot of Tatooine, but seeing Tatooine, seeing the new canon of Tatooine, getting a um, kind of vibe of the dichotomy, even in this episode alone, Learning more about, well, you don't really learn a lot about the Tusken Raiders, but you live in their world for a second. And I think that that's really good. You live in the uh, criminal underworld of this Tatooine planet for a while in this episode. And I find that very rewarding because I feel like I got to actually live in that with that episode, with this episode. This Tatooine being a lived in place that people actually stay in that actually like go home they choose this as a destination of their whether they go to the bar and they drink there or the criminal underworld or their homes or the tribes of the Tusken Raiders I think that's a beautiful aspect of this episode that some fans might forget the perspective because we've gotten a lot of desert planets but I think it's very rewarding in this sense well and I think that the the shot we get um basically like flying over Moss Espa where you see all the buildings and everything. Um, first of all, if that's model work, great model work. If it's computer generated, great job making it look like model work. Because <laughs> um, either way, oh God, that yeah. hit really, really well. But I think that for me, that added a whole lot of weight of, okay, we knew Moss Eisley, we know Moss Espa, like we've seen them before and we've seen, you know, in the special editions, like flyers and stuff, but I just really got the feel of the scope of the city and the amount of people that are going to be affected by the events that are happening um, in this story that we're telling. And I love that they called this one Stranger in a Strange Land for a few reasons. Boba Fett is not a stranger to us as Star Wars fans. Tatooine is not a strange land to us as Star Wars fans. But at the same time, this version of Boba Fett is a stranger to us. And then I'll go into that in a, in a little bit more in a minute. Tatooine is an evolving landscape with the overturning of Jabba's empire, with, you know, uh, as we've seen, you know, people like Cobb Vanth coming in, um, a the mayor kind of stepping up his game, which we can assume he didn't really do with Jabba. Um, all of these things, it's it's an evolving landscape. And we're getting this 
I'm gonna I'm back on my bullshit. We're getting this birth and death symbolism, this rebirth of Boba Fett, both literally for us as fans, like experiencing him. And I know, like for you and me, we're kind of in a similar place uh, where, yeah, Boba Fett was he was cool, he's fine, whatever. And then the Mandalorian comes and we're like, oh, okay, well this is a, this is a Boba Fett I could get behind. Um, and we're getting the birth of this new version of Boba Fett where they're not going to be boxing themselves into the expectations of what Boba Fett is going to be. And we're also getting, within the story, the rebirth of Boba Fett as this new character who has a code, um, has a way that he wants to live his life, has a way that he wants to rule. He says here, you know, I, I will rule with respect. Um... And we're going to see the evolution of how that came to be. So it's nice for, you know, especially like people like myself who haven't had a lot of history with Boba Fett outside of, you know, what happened in the movies and Clone Wars. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about Boba Fett one way or the other. So I don't want I didn't want to come into this show and have to feel like, okay, I'm not getting as much out of it because I haven't been a Boba Fett fan for 40 years. I don't want to have to go back and try to figure out everything about who Boba Fett is. I want them to present the Boba Fett that is now, and that's what they're doing with this. And I think we see that like immediately coming out of the Sarlacc pit. Like that is a rebirth for the character. Yeah, i I would say that I would say that the Sarlacc pit opening up with that. What's the most exciting thing about this entire episode for me? Personally. Well, that was the one thing that I wanted to see. The one thing I was like, okay, I want to see this. I I will even venture to say I need to see it is the Sarlacc pit. And I wanted them to get it done in the first episode because we needed to see it because we can't have him just coming back to life and have no explanation of it when, you know, the Sarlacc pit is supposed to be so dangerous in, in Return of the Jedi. But I also didn't want it to be like, all right, like, kind of like Han getting the Falcon in Solo. Like, you have to wait until the very end. And it's like, okay, I waited the whole movie, and it was kind of anticlimactic. Uh, so I didn't really feel satisfied with it. Whereas now, we've got that out of the way, and I'm able to go into the rest of them going, okay, I don't, I, I got nothing else. Tell me the whole, the whole story. Yeah, the biggest part, um, the Star Wars fan of me, I, I spent a lot of time speculating about his uh, scarring, his scar tissue. And I always kind of assumed that it was the, maybe he was in the stomach, and the acidity of the stomach was what was burning his skin. And the fact that we realized, oh no, he burned his way out of it, that's how he got out of the Sarlacc pit, that was not... It was very rewarding to actually know that answer because that was something that I speculated and while I was wrong, it was still nice to actually get that answer. It was very cool. Like cinematically, it, you know, Star Wars fans, we love to pick every single piece of this and that's something that you're particularly good about um, as a Star Wars fan. You, you really pull a lot of things out and I think that's what's great about you being my co-host is you actually inspire a lot of things for me, but just from a cinematic point of view, it was very nice seeing him in the pit, 
seeing a stormtrooper in there just like rotting away and how he got out. It was very quick, but it was quick enough to where you understood exactly how he got out. Um, but it was gratifying and it was honestly very, uh, you know, the metal fan in me says it was very metal. It was very cool. It was amazing. It was. And I think it provided everything that fans of, of any level could have wanted. Right. So well, you for, had to see it. You ha- we had to see it. OK, so we'll, we'll take that one for granted that it's something that we we had to see. Um, because like I said before, like you take away the, the fear factor of the Sarlacc in Return of the Jedi. If you just like magically have him appear and you don't show us how you have the badassery of like burning his way through the fearlessness, the, uh, lack of concern for, you know, pain to himself in order to make that happen. But then when you have the emergence of him out of the Sarlacc pit, I know I always imagined him coming out of you know, the, the hole that we see where, you know, the tentacles and the mouth and everything is, but he comes out of the side, right? And he comes out and sticks his hand through first, which, you know, goes very much into like the horror movie zombie kind of thing, you know, where you have somebody's hand Body sticking horror. up. Yeah. Like you just have their hand sticking up out of the grave and it's like, oh my God, like they're alive. And it's actually very Lovecraftian to be honest. Yeah, yeah. And 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 then he comes out of it and he like literally basically dies like to the point where the Jawas are able to defeat him. Like they take his armor off of his lifeless body and he tries to fight back in like a little Jawa who, you know, is is scared of R2D2 is able to, you know, beat up Boba Fett. Like that's an overstatement of what happens, but it it makes the point of how dead that character was. Well, another thing that I would like to add to that is in the Fast and Furious Age of Humanity where there are um, these badass characters that just make it through these things and they just, you know, they scream family or they slap a little Band-Aid on it. One of the biggest things about that scene of him bursting out of that sand that I feel like the casual fan might not actually let it resonate to them, hence you guys listening to the show, is could you imagine creating burns that are going to scar tissue you, bursting out of the sand and then being covered in said hot-ass sand, and it's caking your scar tissue with the dry sand, drying it out, drying out all of that, um, all of that uh, bleeding. Um, what what is the term for skin that kind of like um, has like a film over it? What is that? I forget the medical term of it, but it's like when you burn yourself and it's it's moist, and it like it, it's trying to coat the skin to protect it. Can you imagine having your whole face? covered in that and then just hot dry sand hitting it well and that is a huge effect on that show that people might miss but it's a very real effect on the on the level of pain that he is in that adds later to that episode and i don't know if you watch with subtitles on i watch with subtitles yes i i did i always watch with subtitles did you see what he said when he came out of the sand 
I actually forget. He said, I can't right before he falls down. Like, think about the perspective that we've had of this character, like, and the, 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 the vernacular, the semantics that are used around Boba Fett. Like, Boba Fett is a badass. Boba Fett is, you said it quite well, like, he's, he's a killer. He's John Wick of Star Wars. And he goes through all of this stuff to finally get out of the, the Sarlacc pit, right? He's made it. He's awesome. Like, and like you said, like, if this was a Fast and Furious movie, you know, he's going to walk out, like, holding a side and be like, I did it all for family, right? Like, but no. Boba Fett that we know, the Boba Fett that is the cool guy, that is the the cowboy, that is the rogue, that is all of these things that we like to consider Boba Fett to be, makes it through the Sarlacc pit, through, like you said, burning his way through, burning himself in order to do it, which, again, that's another little bit of symbolism that Star Wars uses a lot, right, is fire and death. Catharsis. Uh, exactly. He comes out and... He can't. He can't make it forward anymore. But also, metaphorically to me, that's saying he can't continue to be what he was when he fell into the Sarlacc pit. That he's got to evolve and become something different and become something more. I don't think he knows at that point what it is. I don't think we know what it is fully yet. Um, But I feel like the Boba Fett that we're seeing now that walks into the sanctuary and just says, you know, like your business is going to continue to do well under my watchful eye that says I'm going to rule with respect is not the same Boba Fett that stepped out from behind that wall and had Darth Vader's back. It doesn't. And in a good way, it doesn't feel like the same character. I look at it from a different point of view. I look at it from, you know, well, one, I would like to make a side note. When Anakin was burning on Mustafar, he was in scorching pain. But we know enough about science and how, you know, nerves work. Those eventually burned away. And adrenaline is what made Anakin crawl up from the pit of Mustafar. Like, those nerve endings burned. Boba did not have that. Those degree of burns were not that bad enough to where those nerve ending burned but the sand was enough to make it burn even more so when he says i can't that is he is in pain those nerve endings did not burn completely away he was in pain when you talk about the same boba that that was serving vader i look at this coming out of the sarlacc pat pit as a pat <laughs> as a rebirth of the character himself saying, look, I've served a lot of people in my life. I have done job to job. I am essentially a servant of people for money. I just came out of a fucking Sarlacc pit. No, I'm taking this for me. And we're going to do this on my terms. And I'm going to still be the leader. I'm going to be a a respectful person about it because he was always a professional. That's one thing about Boba Fett. 
He's always been very professional in the original trilogy. It was always about the job. We're focused on the mission at hand. He was never an angry person, an angry leader built on rage like Vader was. It was very an iron fist. It was no. Look, I to, to me, when he takes that throne, I am done with serving other people, lesser beings. I'm done. That's why I'm taking down Bib Fortuna. He is a grotesque individual. And when I say fat, I mean that he had... They had made him that way in the film or in The Mandalorian when you see him overthrowing Bib Fortuna as a very... Um, grotesque individual in the sense that he was gorging on not just our food but power and he said no i'm going to emerge out of this and i'm going to be the leader that we need i'm done serving other people i'm done serving crime lords and i'm going to do it my way but dude i just immersed i immersed out of a sarlacc pit and i'm taking the reins as my own i'm done working for a boss much like any contractor that knows that they're good at their job and they're getting tired of making this hourly wage when they know they can make much more and they've hit bankruptcy or they've been laid off one too many times and they know they're great and it's make or break. I'm going to make or break and I'm going to do it my way, but I know what the hell I'm doing and I'm going to do it. That's what I got out of that. And I think those those are I think what we're saying is is essentially the same thing, right? right? Like he and I think seeing back to and and I I love how they use the back to tank, right? Um, to go back and show his history. That's such a cool way to do it. Um, and to dude that shot of Camino. Yeah, I got way too excited. That was really awesome. Um, How they went back and showed young Boba from Attack of the Clones, and you even get the reflection in the helmet, which is a cool shot. Um, But to to see that character and and the back to being, you know, water, water baptism, um, this rebirth, right? I think what you said is, is spot on. He was this character who was was very professional, very to the point. Um, but had no conscience. And to me, I see him now. This is, this is a tough term to use because he's definitely going to be an anti-hero. I don't think we're getting, you know, a new Luke Skywalker, uh, when I say he's has a conscience, but he has a bit of a conscience now. Um, and I think that a code, a code, right. And that comes with, that comes with near death experiences, right? Like, so like people will ask me you know like how i have the perspective that i have or things like that like it comes a lot of it comes from near-death experiences like i'm mature because i had to learn to be mature because of the trauma that i've gone through right and i'm not complaining i'm not trying to like soapbox or anything like that but it's one of those things where you know, I've had people ask me like, well, how can I learn that? And I'm like, I literally don't know. You just have to like face death in some way, I guess. Right. Not even death. Some people find clarity in rock bottom. Yeah. People are broken. 
and, and some that's people where find we find extreme it. clarity about their life in rock bottom. And I think that's where we find Boba Fett is he's got this extreme clarity, or at least he's developing it in these flat. I think we we have him in the armor as this guy who has the clarity of what he wants to do. Um, and then I think when we go back to the flashbacks and we see him, um, you know, struggling, uh, fighting the Tuscans, just trying to survive, that's where he is. I think in the Sarlacc pit, he figured out that he needed to evolve. And then now as he's, you know, with the Tuscans, that's where he's figuring out what that evolution is going to be. And I really, I honestly, I never thought I would say this because... I wasn't really, never really been into the Tuscan Raiders one way or the other. I really hope most of the flashbacks that we get are with him, you know, developing with the Tuscan Raiders and them training him. And we really see, you know, Tamara Morrison was talking about how he's bringing his um, tribal warrior background into his character of Boba Fett. And I think we get that kind of idea of tribal warriors with the Tuscan Raiders. And so seeing them train him so that you get that connection of what Tamara brought to the character, but you get a canon explanation of it. And it also develops the character um, because that warrior fighter side is finding a new way to express itself. I think that could be really, really powerful, especially since they spent a lot of time in this episode dealing with the kid Tusken Raider. Right. So kind of not making them empathetic, but you understand that this is the culture that they've had. This is the way that they've lived their lives in these. It's not that they are necessarily good people because we obviously see them beating the crap out of, of Boba as he's laying there lifeless and the adults just watching it. Not great, but to go to that line of it'll be easier if you, you know, go along with their ways. If he is learning something from everyone that he gets around, that's a really powerful uh, evolution for the character. Because when we saw Boba Fett in the Clone Wars, he was very stubborn, very, we're going to do this my way, very like screw you, Asajj, like, I don't care that I'm a kid, I know more than you, like arrogance about him. And so if we see him now after all these years of trial, and especially after, you know, what we've seen him go through just in this first episode alone, you really will get the chance to see how he is able to take in and process the life experiences that he has had to become a better version of whatever Boba Fett is going to become. It's weird because, one, I agree with everything you're saying. But I, I, full disclosure, I watched this with a buddy and I made a joke, but there's some levity to the joke. The Tusken Raiders are even more fearful of outsiders, hence the binding, hence the mistrust, hence the having to earn your way, because while they have always been vicious people, I made the joke of saying those leaders... Those leaders remember a Jedi slaughtering their entire tribes, their entire family. Those leaders know what an outsider can do to them, and that mistrust is much higher, and earning that trust. That kid, when he raises that stick at him 
is in total fear of an outsider. They're not just reacting because they're Tusken Raiders, because they're badasses. That is true that they are. But they also are very fearful of outsiders. And the way I mean, like, like, there's no way beating around it. Those those leaders at that episode had to have been there when a Jedi slaughtered their entire fucking family, and to see the the end result of that episode of the him of the leader handing the water to him was simply to me because you brought my kid back. You have earned my respect. And that's where we move forward with learning about him possibly training with the Tusken Raiders is because not only did he show great warrior aptitude, which would earn the respect of any Tusken Raider, but he brought the kid back. That's huge. And he came back with him. Right? He can't yes, exactly. That's that's a huge context that people overlook. It, one, I think, I think, is it, is it the Kenobi book where it talks about the Tuscans having this legend of basically, you know, it doesn't say it in as many words, but the legend of Anakin Skywalker coming as, as this monster that came and slaughtered. It's in oh, one of the yeah, legends. No, book. no, it's, it's in the, the Kenobi book. I'm, is it, yeah. I'm pretty relative on that. So that I think is something that even though Kenobi is not, canon um i think that that idea is something that very easily we can just kind of accept as as if not you know proper canon in that it's been written down we can accept it as a common head canon because that's word of mouth is how things would would spread there right and especially with a non-technological uh native tribe like like the tuscans and so you're a hundred percent spot on that that's exactly what would happen and the fact that we get this shot of Boba Fett standing on top of this monster that he just choked, his chains are broken, um, and he's lording, not lording over, but he's standing very strong in a warrior pose over this kid. And then the next shot is you see them walking back. You see he doesn't come and try to take the glory. He doesn't come in and like, you know, I did this. You all listen to me now. It's the kid comes in with the helmet and is telling the stories and everything. And Boba just comes in and stands there. Like he doesn't come in and demand respect from his, through his words. He commands respect through his actions. And that's why the Tuscans are going to give him a second life. And that's that symbol that we get of the, I'm going to assume it's the chief at the end, um, handing him the, the water gourd. Right. Because the water is what they've been seeking the whole time. Right. He needed water to survive. They were digging for the water. um, And then he gets the water. That is that sign of a second life coming. And that's gifted to him by the Tuscans, not just because he saved the kid, but because he had the honor and the dignity to not try to seek the glory for his actions. I think it's a respect thing for them to hand the water. Water is life. I mean, there's, it's not even breaking down. um, Dune and Star Wars are two different things, but Star Wars may not have picked on this as much, but I think the Tusken Raiders are very much a, um, 
a comparison and a symbolism to the actual warriors of Dune, where water is life, to the point where we have we have water suits that are feeding us water to keep us hydrated. I think when the chieftain hands water to him, it is the quintessential sign of you now have my respect. And therefore that's where that that's where that episode ends. And the symbolism of him handing the water to Boba Fett shows a sign of respect. And I, I look at this episode and I don't think it'll be as heightened as the CW show Arrow. But one of the draws of Arrow back in the day, not only was Arrow written very well in the first two to three seasons, because of the actual modern day city of Star City, but also the flashbacks of how Oliver Queen got off the island, how he became the Arrow. I think this show is going to have that not exactly in a ripoff because it's written by John Favreau. And I don't think it's written from the same cloth, but it's very much in the sense of, I think we're going to be finding out how he reinvented himself and the current day. I think the show is going to be doing flashbacks all the way up until the end of the show, or at least halfway through the show of how Boba reinvented himself. And we got to the point where he decided that he was going to become Lord Fett, the crime empire, the replacement of Jabba, because in all hindsight, no matter how you spin it, Bib Fortuna wasn't, was a placeholder. He was never the actual embodiment of a crime Lord. He was the, Handed down replacement. That's two different things than actually owning the title. Uh, yeah, I mean, yes. I, yeah, no, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. Yes, you're absolutely right, but I think, I think the symbolism of him in these next episodes are going to be very much, it might not, it might not reach to the entire end. Um, but I think it's very much in the respect of people who've watched Arrow. We all watch because we love the current event, but we also love to know how did Oliver Queen get off the island? How does Boba Fett reinvent himself to the point where we get to, like, we've seen that in The Mandalorian. That we, we did see that. And I believe that a lot of the people that are watching Book of Boba Fett are people that are going to watch The Mandalorian. I do not think that Bo the Book of Boba Fett will have the same draw as Mandalorian. Um, personally, I just I don't believe that it'll have the same draw. Um, and I think statistically, the people that have seen The Mandalorian are watching The Book of Boba Fett. So they will put those pieces together, but I think the show, knowing Jon Favreau, knowing the influence that he had with said producer Kevin Feige he knows very much how to make things feel like they are intertwined but I think the difference between John Favreau is he knows this is not a comic book movie and there's that's a different debate in its own but he knows that there does have to be some intertwined things without making it feel like a comic book universe and while I think the majority of the people that are watching Book of Boba Fett have seen The Mandalorian, I think he will match that up. And I, I don't know if he'll use actual footage from 
the Mandalorian, but I believe that he will give the viewers, even if you haven't, enough context to understand this is how he got the armor. This is how he became the man that you are currently seeing. So here is the lessons that he learned in in reinventing himself that are also making him act on things in the current era of that episode. I think it's going to have a very draw back and forth. Yeah, I if I had to venture a guess, I would say the first three episodes, seven episodes is, is how long the season's going to be. So first three is going to be heavier on the flashbacks. And then the last four, we may get some here, there, maybe not really get any at all. Um, there's definitely going to be more than than we've gotten in Mandalorian. But I also, I really like how they are kind of uh, giving us a place where these flashbacks happen. So for your reference to Arrow, those flashbacks happen when it's like convenient for the story, right? Uh, oh, this parallels the thing that's happening right here. So we're going to flash it back or uh, where we need a cut. So we're going to cut to the flashback so that we can come back to real time at a, at a different place. I I loved the first two, three seasons of Arrow. Uh, I really, I loved most of Arrow. The last couple seasons were a little tougher, but that's neither here nor there. That's one way to do it. I prefer it the way that they've been doing it with Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, where you have something that's triggering that for them. So we saw it in uh, season one of Mandalorian. The learned. Right. The hitting of the... the um, the Mandalorian armor as the armor was building it was what hit, you know, and it, it was a, it resonated in, in the heart of the Mandalorian. And so it took him back to that other thing that hit at his heart, right? Here we have Boba getting into the back to being fixed, being healed, being reborn. And so we get these flashbacks about how he was in another sense, healed and reborn. Uh, and I, so I hope that they keep that going. Here's something I wanted to, to ask you. Well, actually, first, before I get to, to that, did you think the big monster was a Rancor what was coming out of the sand? Because I totally thought it was a Rancor. 100%. I was screaming, it's a Rancor! And then it wasn't. It wasn't. The thing was pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. I liked the monster. It was it, awesome. It was a little Mortal Kombat-y, but it was, it was very cool. I will it, say add to the mythos very respectfully. Yeah, absolutely. And it felt very it felt very uh practical even though it probably was CGI. It did feel very practical in a sense. It felt it felt like the Rancor where it it was like a puppet. So the way that they animated it was like that. So it does feel like if if let's just say that the Rancors even though like in in legends and lore they mostly come from uh, Dathomir, but if you if you've got the Rancor and this thing existing on the same planet, like you could see how that evolutionary chain could be connected somewhere, right? Um, do you think that Boba Fett appears weak right now? Um, 
In the flashbacks of the current sense. In the current timeline. I believe he's very naive. I believe when he says Jabba ruled in fear, I mean to rule with respect. I believe that by the end of the season, he's going to get his hands dirtier than he thinks he will. I think he's... I think while he has had a rebirth and while he will end on top and adapt, because that is what bounty hunters do, while he has had this backstory of dealing with adversity and moving past it and always ending up on top, I believe he will do that. But I think he will very naively get his hands a lot dirtier than he wants to. I think he will also if I were to make a prediction, have to rein back Finnick a lot more than he thinks he will. I think they are buddy-buddy right now. I don't know if they'll end up buddy-buddy by the end of it. The only reason why I say that is he has been very... In this episode, he said, uh, leave them alive. Make sure they're alive. I think Fennec is much more of a uncontrolled individual than he even knows yet i think she she has not even found her own confidence in herself i I think that she could very much eventually be a threat to him and he doesn't know it yet there's a weird vibe that i got from that scene i think i think he wanted them alive so that he could figure out why they came after him like i do too but i see a bloodlust in fennec fennec takes a mission and she runs with it to the highest of extreme. And I think he's going to have to rein that back a little bit more than he even knows yet. I think there's also, like I said, I think he's going to have to get his hands a lot dirtier than he even thinks. I think he is looking at how Jabba run things and seeing how the people felt and he doesn't want to be that evil source of just blunt power. He wants there to be a cohesiveness, which is why he says, you know, I want to make sure this business keeps making the profit that it's making. I think under my rule, it's going to be um, business as usual. I don't think he understands the level of, rest- of, of aggressiveness he has to take. To, to create the same thing that Jabba does. I think he's going to do it in his own way. But like I said, I think his hands are going to get a lot dirtier than what he thinks it's going to get. Yeah, I think and I like that he appears weak, but I do think he appears a little bit weak in the present day timeline because you have the the mayor's major domo comes and doesn't have a tribute, but wants Boba Fett to give tribute. Um, which also, I love the line, like what I'm the crime Lord. He's supposed to pay tribute to me. Um, and but uh, Jabba, but also to add to my point, Jabba would have killed that person. Outright, no, a hundred percent. And he did not. And they still doubled down on spitting in his face when he did that. And that's they still I, spat in his face and he accepted it. Exactly. So you have that, right? You have um, him going into the sanctuary and being all hunky-dory. And then when you get to the actual, like, fight, he, like, he, he 
puts up a good fight and everything, but in the end, he ends it on the ground and needs to go be carried to the back to tank. So we have this character who is not up to snuff on on a lot of levels. You know, physically, he's not up to snuff. That makes him vulnerable, especially in a a area in a, on a planet where violence rules the day you're the guy that's supposed to be leading should be able to handle those things right um or at least have the people that can handle them for them if you're if you're jabba and we see in this episode he doesn't like it's him fennec and a couple gamorians and he gets ambushed ends up on the ground and needs to be helped back to the uh the back to tank and to me that makes him appear weak which narratively i think is something to keep an eye on um because i do think i think you're spot on with the idea that he's gonna have to be more aggressive i don't necessarily agree with you on the fennec thing i think maybe there there might be some tension about how that happens i don't think she turns on him i don't think that that relationship breaks in that way because in bad batch we did see that fennec has some form of conscience and moral code um in how she handled the mega pre everything else Right, but why put her in there if you're not sending a message about her as a character when you could have literally anybody else? You could have had... I'm, I I guess I did say that she might turn. I'm still saying, like, I guess I would say there'd be a 30% chance that she turns, but I think at the very least, there will be a moral divergence between those two. I think they're going to have at least a conversation where they diverge morally and she will have to decide if she's going to stick with him or not. That's I think fair. she's more aggressive than he is. I agree I on think that. He, I think he very naively thinks that if he can rule with respect and be a kind dude but also have a tight rein on things, that he can succeed versus Jabba living in fear. And the reason why I feel that way, which may not acquire to a Hollywood writer is my experience of being a foreman. I got handed the keys to a van and a management position and I tried to be people's friend and it didn't work. I tried to be a more blunt force leader and it didn't work. And I think that he is very naively getting into management and he doesn't, have his footing yet so he's he's going with respect will win but i i think being a leader and being a strong leader is more things than just being the convenient friend or being the blunt force of of leadership i think it's a give and take it's a balance it's a matter of respect it's a matter of knowing making sure your people know the line between respect and disrespect and consequences and there's also reverent fear yes i think there's a lot to learn but but at the very end of the day this episode is very much about him stepping in this position and they have to know who boba fett is and people trying to piss on him 
And I, I wouldn't be surprised if the uh, Twi'lek at the casino, who is very nice to him and very ha ha ha, was the same person that sent the attack on him immediately after he left. And that is a matter of him thinking he's being kind, saying business is as usual, and finding more layers of, no, it's a lot more than you think it is. And these people are going to try and fight you all the way until the end until you show them why they shouldn't. Right. And, like, it's that old, old thing of, like, you can always soften up, but you can't, like, be harder, you know? Like, especially, it's something that, like, people talk about with teaching. Like, you can't start soft and then, you know, have to build up to be stronger and more disciplined, you know, um, or structured or whatever it may be. And I think that's something that we're going to see fet struggle with is he's starting off with this you know <sighs> kumbaya like we're all gonna get along kind of thing and giving people chances and opportunities and while i i don't necessarily want to see him go full like vicious killer um just because that's not particularly interesting to me when it comes to a story it's why i'm not i'm not like a huge John Wick fan because I think that that devolves character development when you just have them going around just killing everybody. I do think you're you're on to something with him having to get more Finding disciplined and demanding more respect. Yeah, absolutely. But he's coming from the perspective of an employee now becoming a manager. An employee knows what it's like to be an employee. So he's being very reasonable with people at the beginning. But when you make that jump from employee, and this is just my experience, I could be totally wrong. And I'm not saying John Favreau even knows this experience, so he might not write this in. But when you become just an employee to a management position, there's a lot of footing that you have to find. And I think he's going to have to find that footing because he's, he's saying he doesn't want to rule with fear because that's what he felt when he was doing jobs for these crime lords, we ruled in fear. The only way to get my boss's recognition was by completely succeeding without failure. And that is what made Boba Fett's legend big, was the fact that he always got the job done. But he has an understanding as an employee of what it feels like and the pressure and what these other people are feeling when they're coming up there and they're paying contributes. And that's why he's very reasonable to this person that's not offering him anything, spitting in his face. He has a little bit more reason because he knows what it's like to be in that position. And therefore, he's a little bit more reasonable then maybe he should. But it's a different jump being an employee to now and a manager. So now he has to figure out, how am I going to be a manager? But it's not just a manager for a painting company like me. No, bitch. It is being a crime lord for a galactic crime syndicate. It's huge. And I think that's going to be the fun of this whole season, is him finding his footing of how do I still be the man that I want to be but still instill in these people that my word is law without making it a complete, total um, dictatorship. Yeah, That's what I got. And I might be wrong, but that's the symbolism that I got because that's the life experience that I have. And that's the beautiful thing about narratives, you know, is exactly. we bring these life experiences into it. So uh, I think that's a that's a good place to kind of call it because we got a lot of setup in this episode. Um 
I don't say that to say that it didn't deliver, but, you know, it's episode one of a series. Uh, you've got to establish your characters. you got to establish your world, everything like that. Um, so on, uh, on a scale of, of one to, uh, uh, let's do five. On a scale of one to five, what do you get this, uh, give this episode? Uh, personally, I don't like to rate because people tend to say, well, you gave it a 3.5. Why did it suck? You gave people a four. Why did it suck? It's either, I mean, I think we live into a zero to five rationality of the, of this internet world. I think if you give things a five, then that means you absolutely love it. You give it a zero. I I think that's what people are, they're looking for very black and white. What I will say about this is that the episode gave a very, satisfying origin and set a very good premise to what this story is going to be without actually giving into the story. If it were my opinion, if, if, if I were to give my opinion, I would say that this, this needed two episodes for a starter. I don't think that it should have been, my buddy asked, don't you think it should have been maybe, uh, you know, an hour and 20 minutes? No, I, I think the TV episodic way you need to cut an episode when it makes sense to cut the episode, I would have preferred to have two episodes for this. I think it needed the backstory of what it had in episode one. I thought everything that it was made to be was amazing. I just wish I had a little bit more to go off of. So I could have used another episode to kind of do it like with Hawkeye Hawkeye very in Disney plus very much introduced or vision WandaVision very much introduced the premise and then added to the story I could have used the second episode and I think it was very necessary and I think the business model of Hawkeye proved that we could have done that and it would have been fine I think the retention of the fans would have kept momentum going a lot farther had we had another episode to go off of. I think it needed another episode. I'm very happy with this. I wanted another episode to give me a little bit more context. That being said, I love Book of Boba Fett. I think this is going to be a great story. But I think the best part about this episode for me, personally was seeing that it was written by John Favreau, was produced by John Favreau, Dave Filoni, and was directed by, um, wow, now Richard Rodriguez. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the best part was seeing the credits for me. And that <laughs> the best part was seeing the credits. No, and I I, I know no, what you mean. It's just a funny re- statement. Yeah, it, it's a funny statement, but I, I only mean that because I know I have trust in John Favreau. I know that it's going to go somewhere great. I'm pretty sure that this was a business reason why they didn't do it, but I could have very much used the second episode for this actual um, series. Fair. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and give a rating uh, and, and say it. it was a four out of five, um, because like I said, it, the the one thing that I wanted it delivered. It delivered it in a way that I felt was uh, narratively important, but didn't spend too much time just being fan servicey. Uh, I gotta shout out the music because I I love that they brought Ludwig Göransson back. Um, the the Book of Boba Fett theme that they're giving. Well, him. Well, I think he's a staple now. 
I think he's the new TV guy now. Like, I think he's the TV John Williams. I think if that's going to break, uh, it'll break with the Ahsoka series, that they may want to go in a different direction there. But I think with the Kenobi series, we'll also get him back, and, and since that's on Tatooine. But, I think anything Western-oriented, you got to call him. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And, and he's done a fantastic job. Uh, I mean, hell, he got me listening to you know music for Mandalorian again um this morning yeah. after watching the episode so i think it was a fantastic episode and i'm very episode. excited to to talk more about it with you on our next episode of sith talk so uh we can go ahead and close shop up there zach if you want to tell them uh where they can find all of our stuff and more sith talk information so just to update you guys um uh, by the time we release the next episode we will be talking about episodes two and three um, you can find me at Sith Talker 25 talking all things Star Wars, working out, barbecue, um, all of those things, uh, comic books. Um, you can find me at Sith Talker 25. You can find us at the Sith Talk Instagram page. I also kind of help run the Clashing Sabers Instagram page. If you guys want to reach out, have any questions, um, or you want to speculate your concerns based on this episode, your thoughts, you should check out the Clashing Sabers Facebook page. You can also write the Clashing Sabers Instagram. You can write the Sith Talk Instagram for all things, you know, based on this episode that maybe you have a thought. I would love to hear it. Um, and that leaves me, Brandon, where can they find you? And also plug our awesome charity event that we're doing right now. Yeah, Please. so we have our fundraiser going on right now to put more Star Wars books into classrooms. Um, and right now, I, I'm pulling it up to double-check numbers. At the time of recording, we are at $765 of our $2,000 goal. So we're making good progress, but we need uh, more donations. And every penny of that $2,000 goes to putting books into classrooms. So all of the prizes that we have signed, everything like that has all come out of pocket uh, so that we can make sure we're spending all of our money on getting kids Star Wars And I, w- I want to also add that for anybody listening and you're on the fence about donating to this in my personal belief you are getting more by signing up and and signing up to these raffles than you are giving to kids because these raffles are insane yeah we're getting signatures from charles soul claudia gray we are getting uh artwork that is absolutely phenomenal we are getting there you found a lot of really good prizes and that's something that you can't miss out on because honestly if i were the one seeing these signatures i would second guess taking these things for myself it's very they're that hard. good it's no, very they hard. are phenomenal and i can't get away from that so if you are on the fence about donating um to this cause these prizes are absolutely insane, and I can't get away from that. They are something that I would want all of them in my home collection, every single one of them. If I were to, and I, you know, I have given to this actual thing, I'm secretly wanting to get some of this, and I know I won't because that's not how it's designed to be for me. But if I were an outsider, I would absolutely be signing up for these prizes because these are some big star wars names with some awesome property i don't know how you did it man but it is claps to you 
Well, it's just it's it's not for me. It's for the kids, and it's to make sure that. No, I know, but you've made it very intriguing for people to give. So if you're, we on do the fence, have we have twelve prizes it. this year. All of them, we have signed books, signed memorabilia, art prints, like you were saying, all of that stuff. So uh, the more you give, the more entries you have into the raffle. But I mean. 10 bucks gets you 10 entries so you have a good chance of winning uh one of those 12 prizes if you jump well, no, on wait, in no, here the way of looking at it right now is you know we're we're uh 700 out of 2000 guys if you donate you have a pretty good chance of winning still yeah so why the not odds why are not? in your favor so make you sure you better, go over you you have a better chance of donating here than buying some lotto tickets and, that's and true getting something good out of there so if that's you're thinking true. about giving something to christmas giving something to new year's definitely give to this because you have a way better chance of winning something way better than what you would get out of a lotto ticket or a slot machine so go.rallyup.com slash revenge of the readers where you can find all of that stuff um also if you want any of the links or, or anything like that and you can't remember what it is, it's in the show notes or you can message us uh, on any of our, our social feeds that are also in there. So we'll be writing that into the new year. So you still have plenty of time at the release of this uh, episode to get in there and uh, and help some kids out. And then also, if you uh, know a teacher and would like them to receive some of the books that we are getting um from from this fundraiser or for this fundraiser you can go over to clashingsabers.net slash nominated teacher uh and you'll be able to add them to uh our our growing list of teachers we're always looking for more i have a ton of books in my closet and we're going to be getting a ton more um to give to teachers from from kindergarten kindergarten all the way up to to high school in 12th grade so uh zach i think that's it my man and with that being said brandon may the force be with you always hey looks like you're done talking sit who oh scion the bartender yeah he's gone down a couple levels you're gonna venture down there well there's a few things you should know before you go Sith Talk, all the Clashing Sabers Network, they ain't associated with Disney, Lucasfilm, or any of their subsidiaries. All these licensed sounds and whatnot all belong to whoever the hell they belong to. We just use them here for entertainment and educational purposes. Look, if you're unsure about something or have questions about what's what, email us at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com. And hey, on your way out, make sure you leave us a rating and review. Word of mouth is how people find out about this place. Now, get out of the way. I got paying customers to get you. Jedi business. Go back to your drinks.